Welcome to an all-new podcast based on Incident Prevention Magazine's very popular column called The Voice of Experience, which is written by Danny Raines. As some of you may already know, Danny worked for Georgia Power for 40 years and has been consulting and educating utilities and utility contractors ever since. He's been one of the most popular speakers at our annual conferences and our webinar events. We are very excited to bring Danny's extensive knowledge and experience to our podcast offerings. We hope that you'll join us throughout the year as Danny provides utility safety and ops professionals like you with impactful utility safety and ops insights and observations. With that said, let's join in with Danny now as he talks in greater detail about loan worker limitations, a subject he covered in his column for the December 2020, January 2021 issue of Incident Prevention Magazine. Hello, everyone. This is Danny Raines. Uh, I think many of you probably know me or have seen me sometime in the past, but I want to take a little bit of time here and talk about one of the last articles I just wrote. A little bit of history on me. I, I worked at Georgia Power for 40 years. I was uh, went to work as a helper on the line crew in 1967 and retired in 2007 as the corporate safety consultant for distribution and transmission. And since then, I've I have my own company, Range Utility Safety Solutions, LLC, and uh, have about 200 customers across the United States and Canada and several other places to where I have actually gone and, and, and performed and pro provided training and presented training programs to employees, investigated accidents, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But today I wanna to talk about the last article. The last article I wrote uh, that was in the, I think the December issue of IP was the limitations of the loan worker. Uh, right now I have a, uh, a customer that's struggling trying to define what the limitations of a loan worker are. And, and it really revolves around underground and we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, what I want to do is I want to share with you what the standard says. Now, a lot of people ask me a question and, and, you know, those of you who know me know well, my first response is usually is, what does the regulation require? <laughs> the regulations, OSHA regulations are what's and why's. They're not how's. The how-to, the interpretation and to determine the intent of that regulation is nothing more than up to the employer. They have to decide exactly how far one way or another they want that to go. Now, it's that OSHA regulations are pretty specific, but the training that's required, I want to talk about this first, because if you're not an A2 qualified employee, you can't work by yourself in energized areas, exposed areas, or be sub subjected to anything over 50 volts AC, because that's the way the world is, okay? Just for example, uh, in, all employees covered under this section, which is 1910-269, generation, transmission, and distribution, each employee shall be trained in and familiar with safety-related practices, safety procedures, and other requirements. Jeez, jeez, what did I just say? I didn't say anything. What kind of safety practices? What kind of safety procedures and other safety requirements? That's up to the employer. They're just saying you can't put somebody out there that's not prepared to do what you're expecting them to do. And then there's other parts of training. We'll talk about that. Employee also should be trained and familiar with safety uh, practices, uh, including emergency procedures. Now, it may not even be talked about in this lesson, 
in this regulation, but you still got to practice them. Manhole, uh, pole top, bucket, lower control, bucket rescue, all of those things. They may not be specifically addressed here, but you still got to cover them. Okay. Now then this next sentence, and I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to share this because this will probably be related to another one of the podcasts that I'll do soon when it comes to informational transfer, informational sharing, when host contractors hire independent contractors. And, and that's a big deal. But this one here came in uh, in 2014 when the standard was updated. And it says, the degree of training shall be, de be determined by the risk of the employee for the hazard involved. Holy mackerel. That is amazing. What that's saying in there is I can task the intent. Uh, my interpretation is I can task train you to do certain tasks within this 269 standard, and you will never be a 269A2 qualified electrical worker, a lineman that's going to put rubber gloves on or use sticks or do any of those other things. But I can task specifically train you to enter a substation, to do thermography or do harmonics to work or uh, do uh, environmental reclamation. There's a lot of things I can do that will basically um, qualify you to do that. But that one sentence, the degree of training shall be determined by the risk of the employee for the hazard involved. That kind of opened the door. And that, that sentence was actually put in the standard in 14 at the request of contractors. So each qualified employee shall be uh, trained, uh, necessary exposed uh, to identify exposed live parts from other parts of equipment. What's hot, what's not. Skills techniques necessary to determine nominal voltage and exposed live parts, okay. The minimum approach distance, okay, set by your employer. If your employer doesn't set the minimum approach distance or if your contract employer doesn't, then they have to fall back and can't do less than alternative table six and seven on distribution and transmission. The proper use of precautionary techniques, personal protective equipment, insulating shielding materials in all the insulated tools for working on or near exposed energized parts. Boom, there you go, okay? So if you don't have these things, you can never be an A2 qualified worker unless you're task qualified according to that uh, 269A2CI. Okay. Now then I'm going to jump down to paragraph L in the regulation and let's talk about now then I'm a qualified per person. What can I do? What, what can I do out there? What is allowable for me to do? And I think on the overhead part of it, it it's pretty much cut and dried. Okay. It's, it is what it is on overhead. Uh, you have, if you're, if you're within minimum approach, okay. And you're working on anything, you're going to get within the mad itself, or you're going to actually touch something, or you're going to put a piece of equipment in mad. It takes two people, boom, done. Now underground is the one that, uh, I, I want to, I want to focus on a little bit. And, and I know I'm long winded and I've run out, I'll run out of time before I get through today and I may have to finish it up later but I want to at least get you to the point to where you can ask the right kind of questions if there's a question that needs to be asked. Here, here's the part that I want to discuss, and that's L2I, that's minimum approach, is found in 1910-269, L2 and the letter I, 
you know, at least two employees are required. And now this is the, I guess the vague part of the description because it doesn't say overhead, underground transmission, distribution, substation, doesn't say anything. It says installation and removal of or repair of lines energized at more than 600 volts. If you're going to pick it up, you're going to work on it. You're going to get a clearance, switch it, tag it, ground it. Then you got to have two people done. Thinking overhead, installation, removal, repair of de-energized lines. If the employee is exposed to contact with other, other parts that are energized more than 600 volts. Yes. And also if it's de-energized, and has not been checked for the absence of voltage and grounded, it's got to be considered energized. So, you know, there's another way to look at that other than the way it's actually written, okay? Work involving the use of mechanical equipment other than insulated aerial lifts, parts energized 600 volts and more, and other work that exposes to employee to electrical hazards greater than or equal to the electrical hazards posed by operations specifically named in the last three sentences we just read. All right, so that's that requires two people. The next section says, and this is kind of where we'll, we'll, we're gonna dive off into maybe underground here, or there's other things you can do too. And I'll give you a couple examples that I've dealt with over time. This section does not apply to the following operations, colon, that's this L22I. Routine circuit switching when employer can demonstrate that the conditions at the site allow safe performance of his work. Work performed with live line tools when a position of the employee is such that he or she neither within reach or otherwise exposed to contact. Otherwise exposed to contact probably means and should be interpreted as mad, okay, of energized parts and emergency repairs to the extent necessary to safeguard general public. Boom. There's the get out of jail free for a lot of different companies out there that have single uh, workers, you know, lone workers, maybe a service technician, maybe a trouble person, whatever you call them, whatever you want to call them. Okay. Many companies, including the company I worked for for years, did and still does have a troubleman working by themselves and they do a lot of stuff. And if they ever have to work on 600 volts or more, if they ever have to change out a transformer, pick up a primary, they'll put two troublemen together. And they can do that if, if another one is available. If not, they'll have to call somebody in. But here's the thing, <laughs> routine switching. What does that look like? Opening and closing a set of gang switches on overhead, no problem. Uh, switching in a substation, as long as you're outside minimum approach, not a problem, okay? How about switching an underground elbow in a pad mount transform? Now, then don't you think about that for a few minutes. According to what I have been taught and understand if you got what we now our term was dead make or dead front and that is insulated elbows and bushings they're insulated for the voltage that's in the underground system okay so there's no mad period until you pull that elbow off if you have a small a small interface 25 kv elbow and you got 144 single phase to ground you got about an inch and a half of probe sticking out beyond the elbow. There's the exposure, but you're on the end of a six or an eight foot stick. You're not violating minimum approach unless you got your company has declared minimum approach to be much larger or more than what the alternative table six is, which is about 31 inches. So that's really up again, up to your employer. 
uh, if they want to switch out, if they want to open a transformer, do they need a second person there? They open, they inspect the transformer, look for any kind of damages to the transformer or abnormal conditions. You know, I always say, look, listen, okay, and smell. If 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 nothing nothing is impending failure that you can identify, then it's perfectly okay to bend down and unlock that lock and take get pent a head bolt out with a with a socket and a ratchet, then put on your gloves, put on your arc rated FR clothing, which you should already have on, and and safety glasses and a hard hat and rubber gloves, and open that door. Whether it's a single phase flip up pad mount or whether it's a three-phase uh you know a three-phase pad pad mount with 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 a loop now live front we'll talk about that next time right now the only thing i want to talk about is nothing but energized cables working in an insulated medium okay so we don't violate minimum approach and it says here if routine circuit switching that don't say in underground or overhead it just says you can demonstrate the conditions a site is safe, okay? So once you get the lid open or the door open, then you start looking for impending or in you know possible failures, swollen bushes, swollen elbows, leaking transformer, buzzing sounds, abnormal humming, like single-phase condition of a transformer. Then it's not normal operations. Then, then you might want the second person there. Because especially if it's night, there's a lot of people differentiate night to day, you know, other than, than light conditions, of course. Uh, if it's night, I need a second person. If it's daytime, I can do it by myself. I hadn't quite figured that one out because that's not in the regulation. Here it is. Routine circuit switching with a stick, okay? Uh, maybe you have a bad cable or maybe you're just going to switch out something, a section of cable between pad two and three. So you're going, you're going, you know, you're going to go to pad, you're going to go to your normal open point and close it, go to pad two and then pull it off, put it on a feed through bush and check for the absence of voltage and then, and then park it. And then you're going to go back to pad three and do the same thing. You, you have not violated minimum approach anywhere there. Uh, there's no hazards that you have not identified. If there's additional hazards there, then get you a second person in that article. And as a result of a cup, a customer request, I have, I've got a spreadsheet and I'd be glad to share it with most anybody that's listening that I did 20 different companies and it included investor owned utilities, uh, electric cooperatives, large and small municipals and contractors working on those systems. What do you do and what do you allow? Do you allow them to open the transformer, take thermography and then close the transformer? Do you allow them to open the transformer by themselves, catch a case of trouble, switch, replace a transformer fuse? What do you do? Do you allow somebody to take and cover up the elbows and bushings with say class two or three equipment, whatever you need on nominal system voltage, and then work on secondaries, hook up a temporary service, whatever. Those are the kinds of questions that, that I answered on that spreadsheet. And there's about 20 companies and it was a pretty good mix across the board as to, you know, what they did. And uh, I can, I, I'll be glad to furnish that to anybody. If you basically want to get in touch with me, uh, I think my information will be on this article, but it's rainsafety at gmail.com. That's one S and just email me 
and I will be glad to send that spreadsheet to you just to where you can see what everybody else said and how the companies are handling it. Be glad to do that. It's not a, not, not, not a problem at all. Uh, the next time, maybe when we, uh, we're going to talk about underground operations in the next issue, cause Kate's already told me that. And I will be talking more about uh, lawn workers and problems that two person crews can run into when working underground. And I remember particularly there was a, there was an article I wrote several years ago about catching a case of trouble on a bad underground service that could have almost got somebody killed. Had we not followed the, followed the directions and the regulation and the training of my company to the T and we identified a, a condition that occurred because somebody was doing horizontal bore and cut four services. Drove, he drove right through the middle of four, four all underground triplex services and damaged them. And one of them finally went bad, but the other leg was damaged. It was also heated up. So uh, by the, by the, by the condition, it was all in water, you know, at a duck crossing on a road. And it was just, it was a mess. It was. But I'll talk about that more on the next occasion. But thank you for listening. If there's anything else I can do, be glad to answer questions. Just give me a call or send me an email. Thanks. Be safe. God bless. And see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this very first episode of The Voice of Experience by Danny Rains. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, go to our website at incident-prevention.com slash podcasts to get more or search Incident Prevention wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you.